Well, yesterday began the season for U6 soccer here in Valdosta, if you were keeping up with that. U6 means under six years of age, meaning I get to coach four and five-year-olds, which is a lot of fun. And we had our first game yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, why not? One of the hottest parts of the day. So we received our jerseys a few minutes before the game. We saw that our jerseys were yellow, uh, which is better than many other colors like orange or blue, I guess you could say. So we had our yellow jerseys. And so I gathered the team up and I said, okay, guys, if if we're going to do this, we need a mascot. We need a team name. What's it going to be? And without hesitation, one of the little boys around the group said, we're the Yellow Lions. And I was like, oh, yeah, Yellow Lions. That's who we are. I mean, and it stuck. Nobody argued. Nobody spoke up against it. I think I heard an amen, actually, from the kids. So we gathered together and said, okay, on the count of three, we're going to say yellow lions. And I thought, no, no, that's a lot to say at one time. So we'll say lions. And then one of the kids said, no, on the count of three, we're going to roar. And I said, oh, yeah, yes, we are. Yes, we are. They don't keep score in our league, but the coaches do in their heads. And we fell short by one goal. But let me tell you, by playoff time, we're going to come roaring. We're going to be the real deal. Before the game started, I told the kids, I said, listen, the sun's out. It's going to be hot. Now, the sun gives us energy. But the sun will also zap you of energy when you're playing sports. And so you need to drink a lot of water. Here's your water. Make sure you drink it often. I'm going to be rotating you in and out. Remember, the sun will zap you of your energy. It will expose you. So make sure you drink a lot of water. And they did great. I mean, throughout the game, anytime they came in, they played hard. And then we'd switch them out. And they had these little red faces. And we just ended the game right at the right time. I mean, they were were toast by the time it was finished. But gathered the kids up right after the game. And I said, what's one thing you learned today? What'd you learn about the game? What'd you learn about this experience? And they said, the sun will expose you. It will zap you of your energy. You need to drink water. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's good. We can, we can go with that. We can build on that. We'll build on that. As we come to the scriptures today, it is the son of God who gives us energy, who brings us life. But the son of God also exposes us of where we are dry and weary and dying. And that's what's happening here at this festival of booths. One of the biggest celebrations of the year. And Jesus is exposing the hearts of men and women. And they're dry. They're weary. And they're dying. There's a neat thread that's happening here in the book of John. It's easy to miss. If we're not intentional with seeing it. John chapter 5. We see the believer is quickened, meaning that he is awakened from the dead. John 5, 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Then in John 6, the believer comes to Christ and is saved. John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Which brings us to John chapter 7. 
where the believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, providing rivers of living water. Now, here's the really cool thing. When you come to Christ, all of these things can happen at once. You are quickened. You are awakened from the dead. You come to Christ. You are saved and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of that can happen all together at at once in a moment. But here it's spread out through several chapters. So just have that in mind as we come to verse 32. And this is where we pick up today with the Pharisees hearing whispers among the crowds about Jesus. So they send officers to arrest Jesus. Get this. Jesus has now become a real threat to religious leaders of the day. And the apostle John reveals to us what Jesus was teaching in that moment. I will be with you a little longer And then I'm going to him who sent me. Now, much of the conversation and debate so far in this book of John has been based on his arrival, where he came from. As we saw in verses 14 through 16 above, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and began teaching The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, where where I came from. Much of the conversation was on where Jesus came from. He came from above, coming down to us. Now, it's just to the other end of the spectrum, to his departure, where he is Going And he's going to go back to where he came from. Jesus has a short time before going to the cross. And it will all happen according to the Father's foreordained schedule. So at this point in the book of John, John chapter 7, as we're getting to the end, we're six months out from the cross. Six months from this celebration to Jesus being raised up on a cross. Jesus' death is a part of the plan. Not only his death, but also his resurrection. After his ascension, Jesus would not be found on earth. So this leads to an urgency. Number one, if you're taking notes today, as we come to Christ and drink, we see now is the time to drink from the eternal water of Christ. Now, is the time to drink from the eternal water of Christ. I want to issue a word of warning to unbelievers who are in this room today, meaning you have not submitted your life unto Christ Jesus. You do not confess that Jesus is Lord. As you are here today, I challenge you and I bid you come to Jesus while he is near. Meaning for us, while we're here preaching the word and you're hearing the name of Jesus, repent today and trust that Jesus is the only way. Back in this time, the people who were gathered around Jesus, that was their moment. That was their time to come while he was near. For us, while we're here on this present earth, now is the time for you to repent and follow Jesus. Let me give you some scripture throughout Proverbs 1. 24 through 28, speaking of wisdom, but wisdom that comes from God, because I have called and you have refused to listen, have stretched out my hands and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all of my counsel. 
and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. This is wisdom speaking from Proverbs, saying, now is the time. Don't hold off. Don't wait. Saying, hey, maybe when I'm later in age, then I'll get serious about following Jesus. When I settle down a little bit, then I will give my life to Jesus. Don't wait. While he is near, trust in him. Or maybe too late. That's not a, a fear tactic, a scare tactic. That's reality. That's the reality that we live in. Luke 13, 24 through 25. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you began to stand outside and, and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. That is not what we want to hear as we stand before Jesus one day. I do not know where you come from. For in that moment, it will be too late. Isaiah 55, 6 Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So today I ask you, will you call upon him? As you hear the word of God today, this is an invitation just up front in the service. I mean, trust in Jesus today. Here's what the crowd asks when they hear this. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Is that what he's talking about? He's not going to be here in town. He's going to be out of town, going to a different group of people. Not exactly. But his departure from earth will act as a commissioning for his disciples to take the gospel to the Gentiles of the world. That will happen, but that's not what Jesus is speaking of in this moment. And they continue, what does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. To that, I have this question. Did it ever occur to the Jews that Jesus was referencing his heavenly father? It just occurred to them that maybe all that he was saying, that it clicks for them and they go, oh, he's talking about his father, where he came from, he's going back to. And the answer is no, because God is distant in their thoughts. As God is distant in the thoughts of those with unbelief, Maybe you're here today and God is distant in your thoughts. I mean, you're here, you're present, but God's distant to you. you. You don't think of God often. Maybe you never think of God. Maybe your day doesn't begin with God and end with God and all throughout you're living your day for the glory of God. God's just distant. And the same can go for the Christian that enters a moment or a season of unbelief. The last one he or she will think of is God. We're not quick to go to God. If we are distant from God, then we will be dry and weary. This morning, I did something that uh, I don't think I've ever done. I left during community group and went to the house. 
I left something that was important uh, that we needed for this service today. Um, so Clint reminded me of it. I hopped in the truck and I rode home. And on my way, I just had fresh eyes to see what was going on in our community. And I came across a young man that was playing golf by himself and probably was enjoying the morning. I saw some boys who were riding uh, and playing out in the street, young boys. I mean, at the age of you guys sitting here on the front row, instead of being here, they were just playing, just having a good time. And my heart became very heavy for all of these people that I passed through because it reminds me of just how many people go throughout a normal day like Sunday that we set aside to come together as the church and worship Christ, and God's not even on their radar. I mean, I can get angry with these people. How dare you not be in church? We're in the South. You go to church. No, it's, man, I want God to be on your radar. So I just share that with all of us today. One, to say, I'm glad that you're here in this room, that whatever you had to wrestle with to get here, that you're here. And all the mamas in the room say amen. But that there are many that live among us. God's not on their radar. Nowhere even close. And for many of the people that are around Jesus, God's not on their radar. So when he's saying this, they're not thinking, oh, he's going to go back to the Father. That's what he's speaking of. No, because they're dry and weary. So in verse 37, we see that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So important to understand the context of what he's saying here so that we will not miss the powerful meaning. Whether it was the seventh day that Jesus said this or the eighth day, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty based on that, but I don't think it really matters. We just know that at the end of the feast, this is Jesus standing up and he's saying, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Why would he use this illustration? Why would he reference himself as if he is a river, which we could come bend down and drink from? Because he's referring back to the wilderness. Remember the feasts, the booths. Remember they're wandering in the wilderness and coming through and they were thirsty in the wilderness because it was the desert. And when they were thirsty, Moses struck a rock and water came running out. Then another time, Moses spoke to the rock and water came out to the people. Because God provided water in the midst of the desert. And in a desert, water means life. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm life. I am the life. I am the water that you have gathered here to celebrate. Let me give you these details. On the seven days of the feast, a golden pitcher was filled with water from the pool of Siloam. It was carried in a procession led by the high priest back to the temple. As the procession approached the water gate on the south side of the inner court, three blasts from the shofar, a trumpet connected with joyful occasions, were sounded. While the pilgrims watched, the priests continued around the altar with the pitcher, the temple choir singing the hallel. When the choir reached Psalm 118, every male pilgrim shook a palm of praise and thanksgiving in his right hand while in his left he raised a piece of citrus fruit. Remember we said it was like a lumpy lemon. It was a sign of the ingathered harvest and all cried, give thanks to the Lord three times. 
The water was offered to God at the time of the morning sacrifice, along with the daily drink offering of wine. The wine and the water were poured into their respective silver bowls and then poured out before the Lord. Moreover, these ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles were related in Jewish thought, both to the Lord's provision of water in the desert and the Lord's pouring out of the spirit in the last days. Pouring out at the Feast of the Tabernacles refers symbolically to the Messianic age in which a stream from a sacred rock would flow over the whole earth. And so for six days, the water parade took place each morning. Then on the seventh day, it was repeated seven times. The eighth day, there was no water ceremony, but it was a solemn time of reflection and prayer. So with all of this in mind, we see that this parade is a big event. I like parades. You like parades. These people liked parades. And water was significant in this parade. Remember, Jesus did not come parading into town, but he came privately. But boldly, he proclaims that he's the river of life. So what a gift to all who are in, t- in attendance. That every year they've gathered for this feast. Every year they've gone through these rituals and now standing before them is a river of life. The one whom it's all about. Will they see him? Will they listen? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Aren't you grateful that Christ refers to a river instead of a cup? For what good would a cup of water do to those wandering in the desert? We need more than just a cup of water. I mean, it may bring refreshment in a moment, but only for a short period of time. But a river, a river provides constant refreshment day after day. May this be a word to all of us that if this is the only day that you are refreshed in the word of God, know that it doesn't have to be the only day for you, Christian. Day after day after day, you can be refreshed, filled with life, filled with hope. No matter what disappointments you face, no matter what challenges you face, day after day, you can be filled with this water. So number two, the eternal water of Christ is always fresh. It's always fresh. He refers to himself as living water, meaning living water is still in motion. It's always fresh. When you go fishing in a pond or a lake, you look for the moving water because that's where the fish like to gravitate towards. That's where you catch the big fish. My father-in-law taught me that. There he is right there, yeah. Moving water. There's a freshness to moving water. Are you coming to the living water? Are you fresh today? Are you stale, stagnant? Love what Matthew Henry had to say about this. He says, living, running water, because they are the active quickening principles of spiritual life and the earnestness and beginnings of eternal life. Rivers of living water, denoting both plenty and constancy. 
The comfort flows in both plentiful and constantly as a river, strong as a stream to bear down the oppositions of doubts and fears. This is one of the many reasons why we need this river of life, that it may drown out our doubts and fears. Provides for us a steady river of faith. So here's a question. What must we do to receive the living waters? What do we do? You say, I want this. What must we do? Come to Christ and drink. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and drink. This is an act of faith. And in this act of faith, you turn your back on the stagnant and polluted waters of the world and drink from the never ending flow of Christ Jesus. I love this song from the rock of ages. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling naked to or come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul I to the fountain fly wash me savior or I die. Come with your sin to Jesus and be washed clean. Maybe you're drinking from stagnant, polluted water right now. Stagnant water could be relying on other people's thoughts of you, their opinions. I mean, we're all aware of social media and its impact on this world in which we live in. And some of you may be struggling because you want the approval of people. And you may put information out there so that it may enlighten, but you're quick to go back and check and make sure, hey, is anybody listening? Is anybody following up? You may be encouraging people with the word of God and sending out texts, but nobody responds back to you. And you may be asking yourself this question, is it even worth it? That type of thinking is drinking from stagnant water. Because if you're seeking the approval of man, that's not fresh, that's dead. That's dead. That's, that's natural. That's the natural man. That, that's endless um, pursuit. You'll never be filled. That's stagnant water. How could you drink from polluted water? Maybe there's certain sin in your life that you have just chalked up to say, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal if I cheat on these things. It's not that big of a deal if I worry. I'm just that type of person. I worry a lot. It's not that big a deal if I get angry. I mean, just don't mess with me. Don't set me off, right? I'm an angry person. That's how I express myself. I once sat down with a husband and wife and they were going through some marital conflict. They're not in the room, by the way. So just in case you're wondering if I'm talking about you, I'm not. And they said, you know, we just, we just like to yell at each other. We just get angry and we just have it out. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> but look to Christ. If, if you're going to let anger boil over, you, you can't solve conflict. But for some of us, we say, that's just who I am. That's polluted water. It's polluted water. Let me, let me hit the obvious one in, in the room as well, lust. There's plenty of polluted waters where we can go entertain our lust. But if you're a follower of Christ, I know that you understand what I'm about to say. You drink from that polluted water and it never satisfies, never satisfies. In fact, you find yourself sitting beside that polluted water, disappointed, distraught, when you could be drinking from fresh living water every day as we just come 
to Christ. And I encourage you with this, Christian, and myself, that we may drink from the water that is fresh. Come to Christ and drink. What good is an eternal river if we refuse to bend the knee and drink? The blood of the lamb would not save a household unless the head of that household applied it to the doorpost. That blood had to be put up on the doorpost in order for them to be safe in that home. In the same way, we must rely upon the blood of Jesus Christ. We must drink from the river in order to have life. So here's a question for all of us in the room today. Whether you've been following Christ for years or you're not a, a Christ follower yet, do you recognize your deep need for Jesus today? Do you recognize your deep need for Jesus today? Jesus came as a servant to serve us. In Isaiah 52, we find that the servant is God. He's described as raised and lifted up. In Isaiah 53, we find out that the servant will bring salvation by hanging on a tree, suffering and dying in the place of sinners. Isaiah 54, we find out that the death and resurrection of the servant, servant allows God to offer us an eternal covenant of peace. And we can live free from fear of judgment. By the time we reach Isaiah 55, the chapter in which Jesus references here in John chapter 7, we know God will send his servant who is God to save his people from judgment. Not only will stagnant, polluted waters lead to constant disappointment, but it leads to a fearful judgment. A fearful judgment. Verse 37, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Isaiah 55, 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. These waters give us new life. The rivers of living water flow out of the heart of the believer. Once you have this river of life, it flows forth from you. Listen to this. The heart of sinful man is never satisfied. Never. That's why the heart is an idol-making factory. Idol-making factory, always tinkering and seeking to produce the next best thing that will finally, finally bring some type of hope and fulfillment. Always trying to create something that will last. But our hearts will never burst forth with living water until they break over our sin. then our hearts will overflow with that which fully satisfies. And I believe that's why we're here today, because we want water that fully satisfies. Before you receive this water that fully satisfies, your, water, your, your heart must break over your sin. Our hearts overflow with that which fully satisfies. So we have... This take place from hearts that were never satisfied to hearts that now flow endlessly with godly satisfaction. From a few weeks ago, we saw Peter respond with, we have believed and have come to know. We said, that's how it happens. You believe and you come to know. Some people say, I don't know enough. Well, believe that he is the Christ and come to know him more every day of your life. 
A.W. Pink, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite commentaries. If you're faithful to coming, you know that. I, I think I quote him almost every week. He says this, I must receive from him before I can give out for him. The apostles came to Christ for the bread before they distributed to the hungry multitude. Here is the secret of a real service. When my own belly has been filled, that is, when my own needy heart has been satisfied by Christ, then no effort will be required, but out from me shall flow rivers of living water. Oh, may divine grace teach us daily to first come to Christ before we are attempting anything for him. You may want the people around you to drink from this water, but I encourage you, make sure that you yourself are drinking from this water before you go tell them about Jesus. You yourself be refreshed every day, just as you're flying in an airplane and they give that announcement. If for some reason you need oxygen and it drops down and we're in an emergency situation, parents, make sure that what? First you put that mask on, then you go to your child. Our instinct is go to the one who's helpless. But we too are helpless. We too are helpless without the living water. It's not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we put this in play? that the word of God will be consumed every day, that it may be fresh in our lives, that we'll pray, God, may this be something that I long for. You need the Bible every day, not as a check mark, but so that your soul will be saved from turmoil, from stagnant living. Come to the word, come in prayer, come and pray. All you teachers out there, May we pray and may we trust in the work of God before we begin to study. It's not our good teaching that changes hearts. It's the Holy Spirit. So may we come and may we ourselves be refreshed before we attempt to go out and do anything for him. You may think that everyone wanted this living water. After all, that's the whole point of the celebration of booths. But just as a natural river flows and divides large pieces of land, so the spiritual river that Christ provides brings a division among two types of people. I know we don't like to talk about division because we definitely don't want to see division among the local church, among believers. But this river of Christ Jesus will bring a division between those who are saved and those who are unsaved. It will bring conflict between those who think about God often and those who don't think about God at all. This prepares us each day to go and minister to the world. Let me give you something that's fresh. And and I'm thankful for this. But at Lowndes High School, I've heard about the football games and how you can't pray before the ball game because there was some group out west that decided to come and, and really just bully against those who have freedoms in Christ who want to pray. Now, we could get into, well, if you're going to let Christians pray, then you need to let so-and-so pray and all of this. Look, I'm not, I don't want to go down that road right now, but if you want to later, let's, let's have at it, okay? But at this point, the conversation is what, what will happen? If this is student-led, what's going to go forth? Here's, here's, I get that, and I'm praying that prayer can be broadcast at football games. Yes, if you're sitting there thinking, that's just silly, you know, maybe we don't even need to pray. Let's pray as often as we can. Pray over shopping malls. You go shop and pray. 
Pray in your communities. Pray in the hospitals. Pray wherever. May we not be a people who says, yeah, you can take that away and you can take that away and you can take that away. No, we need to defend. But here's a question I have for all of us. If that really bothered you and has bothered you since it's happened, what is it like for you privately? How many people got upset over this, but privately, they don't come to the living water. They're dry and weary, and man, they're standing up and they're angry that somebody would take their right away to pray at a football game. And listen, I want there to be prayer at football games. If you miss that, you come up to me and say, well, Brian, you're against praying at football games, then you missed it. I'm not saying that. Saying how many were upset that don't come to the living water daily? May this be a challenge for us that when this happens, that first we examine our own lives and say, am I being faithful daily to pray? Am I grateful that I can come to the Lord no matter what the current temperature of the culture and I can pray? Let's be faithful there first. But know this, I was sitting there going, where, where did that all come from? It's because of this. The river divides us. And there is a division. There's going to be divisions. There are going to be people who come against the church, religious liberties. That's, that's going to happen. They came against Jesus. Why would they not come against us? But along with this division, it's something that we all need to take notice of. Verse 43, so there was a division among the people over him. Verse 44, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. They wanted to come against him, but they couldn't. Remember, God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. This we rest in. So there was a division. Some were saying, he's the Christ. Others saying, he's a prophet. Others saying, no, he's none of those things. That was the division then. The division today is happening and there will be another division one day. One day there will be a huge division between goats and sheep. The goats are those who stubbornly refuse the will of God. Sheep are those who humbly submit. All by God's grace, they come to him and trust in their shepherd. And this we read in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31 through 33. When the son of man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Sheep come to the eternal waters of Christ Jesus. Goats stubbornly refuse. They're dry, they're weary. They go against the will of God. There will be a separation one day. And as we said earlier, it will be too late for all of those who refuse this gospel to repent. There will be no turning back from the judgment that they will receive and that judgment will be for all of eternity. It will never end. If you're playing it through your mind 
that somehow God just can't be that type of God, then you have not come to the understanding, and I don't think we ever will, but just how much God hates sin. It is more right for those who have rebelled against Christ to be judged to an eternity of flames and a river of fire that never ends. It is more right for that to happen than it is for anyone to be in Christ Jesus and on a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity. It is more right, it just seems it's more right that we're judged because of our sin. Point being, let us not think that we are entitled to all that the life and death and resurrection and return of Christ brings to us. But every one of us deserve that which is an eternal destruction. That's what we deserve. But by grace, it does not have to be that way. Will you trust in the living water today? Why didn't they arrest him? Why could they not bring him to the authorities? What type of power disarmed these authorities? The word of God, the word of God. And this is what they said. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Here's my prayer that this week, as we read the scriptures, we'll say the same thing. No one has ever spoken like this. No one has ever spoken like this. Last point, here it is. The eternal waters of Christ provides life like none other. Life like none other. No one ever spoke like this man. The life he provides you is like none other. But unless our hearts are affected and our lives molded by God's word, we are no better off than a starving man with a cookbook in his hand. We can hold the Bible, but is the Bible transforming you, changing you? We see this wonderful picture of a man. We can miss it. If we're not careful, we can miss it. This is the end. Nicodemus enters the scene once again. We see three significant stages in the life of Nicodemus throughout the book of John. Here's the first one. In John 3, it was midnight for him. He comes to Jesus at night in his sin, in the darkness of his sin. And he asks questions for Jesus, but he doesn't believe that he is the Messiah. But in John 7, it is twilight. All of a sudden, there's something that's peaking in the life of Nicodemus. He begins to question, and his questions go against the Pharisees, which he was one. It's twilight for Nicodemus. Something's happening. He's, he's intrigued. And by John 19, it is daylight. It is daylight. He associates himself with Jesus. For you, is it midnight? Are you in the darkness of your sin today? Trusting only in yourself, rejecting Christ? Or is it twilight? Are you intrigued? Are you going, hey, I'm getting excited about what I'm hearing about Jesus Is it daylight for you? Are you living in the light of Christ Jesus? And that's what we're going to see in John chapter 8, walking in the light of Christ. That was our memory verse today, John 8, 12. You're living in the light of Christ. Now is the time to drink from the eternal water of Christ. The eternal water of Christ is always fresh. 
The waters of Christ provide life like none other. Will you come to Christ and drink? Let us be faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this scene at the end of John chapter 7. Where if there was ever a parade to be thrown, if there was ever a celebration, may it be for Jesus. But yet many people missed it on that day. May we be a people who do not miss Christ Jesus. May we celebrate the life of Christ May we live in light of Christ Jesus and may we go forth humbly sharing this river of life with others knowing that there is no way possible that we could make people drink from this water but as we ourselves relied upon the Holy Spirit to be saved we trust that the Holy Spirit will go forth and save others too. For the Christians in this room, Father, I pray that this is a great challenge for us. That if there's stagnant waters or polluted waters in which we have knelt down and cupped our hands and began to drink from, make us aware of these things today. That we may leave those waters and drink from the river of life which you have provided for us, which never runs dry, it's always fresh always bringing forth life. And I pray, Father, for those in this room who are at midnight, they're in the darkness of sin, awaken them, quickening them, Father, that they may see, that they may trust in Jesus and drink from this river of life. May they come to Jesus and drink. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.